Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, making it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Brought to you by Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By the University of Akron. Visit areyououtthere.com. everyone welcome to tribe talk jim rosenhouse along with you this weekend from progressive field downtown cleveland as we continue with our hot stove shows during this off season not long now before pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training we are under a month to go before we will start hearing news from goodyear arizona with the exhibition opener on february the 25th a saturday afternoon against the reds and of course we'll have it for you right here on the Indians Radio Network. Coming up on this week's show, we will have the return of our Game of the Week. We will also begin our American League Central Division Rivals previews with a look at the Detroit Tigers. Dan Dickerson will join us. He's their fine radio play-by-play man. Also an update on Tribe Fest, two weeks away from what should be a great event. Joel Hammond will stop by from the Indians front office and fill us in on ticket availability and who is expected to be in town for this year's edition of Tribe Fest. But when we return, a busy week on the transaction front. Some contracts to square away for the Indians. Also some free agent signings. We'll get to that when we continue and get rolling with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And the hot stove continuing to percolate for the Indians as uh, they, along with every team in baseball, trying to wrap things up with their arbitration-eligible players and come to contract agreements. And the Indians did so with their closer, Cody Allen, setup man, Brian Shaw, outfielder Lonnie Chisenhall also signing a contract, Trevor Bauer, And Danny Salazar, who figure to be two keys in the rotation, they have been signed as well, along with relievers Zach McAllister and Dan Otero, the only player who was arbitration eligible who did not come to an agreement with the Indians was outfielder Brandon Geyer. So the teams did submit separate contract proposals, and now they do have some time before they go to arbitration, and the Indians traditionally have been very good about avoiding the arbitration process, they do have some time now to continue to work on a deal. It doesn't mean that they can't work out a deal with Brandon Geyer between now and arbitration time in February at some point, but uh, it certainly gives them some time to get that done, and we'll see if they can do just that. The Indians also invited a couple of pitchers to minor or major league camp on minor league contracts. They are veterans, and one of them Very intriguing if he is healthy, and we're talking about Steve Delabar, a 33-year-old right-hander who has had some outstanding seasons with both the Mariners and the Blue Jays, and it's a great story. He's a former school teacher who had battled through some arm issues but got healthy and eventually made the all-star team with the Blue Jays. 
So he does have some good major league time behind him. Last year, seven games in the major leagues with the Reds, 17 with Louisville in and around some injuries, and then was released at the end of June. The Indians taking a shot on Steve Delabar. They also have taken a chance on Travis Banwart, who has spent the past two seasons in the Korean Baseball League, but also has uh, appeared in the minor leagues stateside with the Oakland Athletics, the team that originally drafted him, as well as some other teams as well. So Banwart and Delabar in the Major League Camp. Indians always on the search for some diamonds in the rough, so to speak, and they've had some good success in that area over the, over the years, especially uh, under Terry Francona's watch, the likes of Scott Atchison and Jeff Manship, just to name a few who have really contributed nicely after being signed on minor league deals and coming to major league camp. So we'll see if that works out well for them this season with Delabar and Banwart. Well, stay tuned. When we come back, Joel Hammond joins us. He's in the Indians Communications Department. He'll have a complete rundown on what you need to know for Tribe Fest. It comes your way in two weeks. January the 28th, the Saturday, should be a great time. And Joel has the the inside skinny on TribeFest coming your way shortly as we continue on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhaus back with you from Progressive Field downtown Cleveland. And we are two weeks away now from Tribe Fest. It'll be Saturday, January the 28th. Always a great event. And this year's after what the Indians did a season ago should be just off the charts. We're joined by the Assistant Director of Communications, Joel Hammond, to fill us in on what's going on. And, and Joel, first off, new location this year. Uh, what are some of the pluses to moving things to the Internet Continental Hotel. Yeah, we still got uh, some some construction on the service level at Progressive Field where we held the event in its first three years here at the ballpark. So last year we moved it to uh, Aloft, which is a great partner of ours, and uh, they, they did great. Unfortunately, it's just a little tight there. So um, we made the decision to move it to a larger venue. We have more fans coming this year. We'll about actually double the number of attendees almost that will attend this year's event. So we need a little bit bigger space, and uh, the Intercontinental uh, will uh, will provide that. There's covered parking. It's attached to the to the hotel. Um, I know people get a little uh, squirrely about parking in, in uh, the clinic area, but uh, there's there's dedicated spaces for our fans, and it'll be attached to the uh, to the hotel. So you don't have to walk outside really if you don't want to. So really convenient and uh, should be a great venue for this year's event. Bigger place. But it sounds like there's not much left in terms of tickets. What's the situation right now? Yeah, as we expected, our fans have really shown that they're excited about the event, excited about this season. So we've just got a few hundred general mission tickets for the morning session left. The afternoon session is sold out. Uh, just a couple hundred tickets for the for the morning session from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, left. We do have a lot of autograph tickets available. So um, if you're still looking for your GA tickets, make sure you uh, bundle your autograph tickets with those tickets when you purchase them at Indians.com slash TribeFest. If you've already purchased GA tickets and you'd like to add autograph session tickets, uh, you can give our fan services line a call at 216-420-4487 on Monday, and they're able to add those onto your GA purchase. So uh, really looking forward to it. We anticipate it selling out here sometime next week. So if you're still on the fence or haven't yet purchased your tickets, highly encourage you to do so uh, uh, as soon as possible at innings.com slash tribefest. And, of course, the big drawing card, the players. Who's coming? 
Is it uh, a real good representation of the roster that, that provided so many thrills last summer? It's a great representation of uh, last year's roster. The only real guy that uh, that, that fans will will, uh, will miss out on is Jason Kipnis. Actually, it's funny. His, his friend is getting married uh, that weekend, uh, obviously something he couldn't avoid. So, uh, But we've got uh, Corey Kluber and, and Francisco Lindor, Cody Allen, Andrew Miller. Uh, a lot of those big names we just announced that Edwin Encarnacion will be there. Uh, just confirmed the, the likes of Michael Brantley and Trevor Bauer and Tyler Nake and Carlos Santana. So uh, virtually the entire 25-man roster will be there. And uh, it's just a great you, – you've seen it, Rosie. Uh, it's just a great environment for our fans to engage with our players because they're relaxed. You know, this time of year, as you know, there's not an, an over-15 slump. There's no – it's not the dog days of summer. At this event, they're relaxed. They're, they're, uh, they're ready to get to spring training to, to get things started again. And uh, our fans have, have universally said that this is just a great event to, to, to meet our players, to interact with them, get to know them a little bit better. And uh, – we look forward to more of the same this year. And they'll be able to do that through some stage shows and games on stage and things like that. How about for the kids? What's there to do for, for some of the younger kids? Yeah, in addition to, you know, autograph sessions, if, if the autographs are not your thing, that's fine. We've got plenty of stuff available, as you said, on our main stage with interviews with our executives, with Hammy, with, with our players. But uh, for, for families, if you're just there to, to go check it out, we've got face painters. Uh, our Lego artist will be there. Um, Louisville Slugger Museum will be there. Uh, um, uh, caricature artists, balloon guy, you know, it, anything that, uh, that your kiddos could possibly want uh, in an event will be there. And, of course, uh, you know, our, our players and our mascots uh, will be there too. So, um, really, again, this is our fifth year of doing this, and KeyBank is a great partner. They help us put this thing on. It's just grown into just such a wonderful event, and I'm really looking forward to seeing all our fans next uh, in, two, in two weeks. All right, Joel, great stuff. Thank you. You got it, Rosie. Joel Hammond, Indians Assistant Director of Communications, talking Tribe Fest two weeks from this weekend, Saturday, January the 28th, over at the Intercontinental Hotel on the campus of the Cleveland Clinic. Stay tuned. More to come as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. We rejoin you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And it's time to begin our look at the Indians' American League Central Division rivals. And we'll start with the team that finished just behind them in the standings a year ago, the Detroit Tigers. And we welcome in Dan Dickerson, fine radio play-by-play voice for the Tigers for many seasons now. And, uh, Dan, before we get talking about the Tigers, you have some good Cleveland connections. And to fill the fans in, it's uh, Game 6. I'm, I'm looking out the window of the press box during the World Series. Game 6 World Series. My phone rings. It's you maybe a half hour prior to the game, and I pick it up. You say, look to your left and down, and you're at the games. And Explain your Cleveland ties and the enjoyment that you had being at those games at the end of the World Series. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, what a treat. It, it all started when a good college buddy of mine who lives in Chicago, a dear friend, John Mengel, said, hey, we should figure out a way to go to the World Series. He's a diehard Cubs fan, as you might imagine. And I'm thinking, uh, we're looking online, and, you know, the prices are outrageous. So I called uh, our good friend, uh, Court Trip Barry, and uh, in your media relations department, who's a Michigander, and just, you know, Court will do anything. So I just said, hey, Court, is there any chance you put me in touch with someone with MLB? And, uh, you know, then – they, they got us some tickets for game six. And then my sister, so we go down and stay with my sister who lives in Akron with her husband. And she's like, well, what about us? <laughs> so I, I call this very nice woman with MLB back and say, what about game seven? So yeah, we have, we, we can get you four. 
And so, uh, you know, we had to pay for them. But, I mean, we're in. And so we were in the upper deck. I love that ballpark. The, I've always been an upper deck guy. <laughs> I grew up in the upper deck at Tiger Stadium. So we're in the upper deck looking right down the first baseline, about 10 rows up. And I'm telling you, what a joy to be in the ballpark for that game. I mean, it was, it was so fun to be a fan again. It's been so long. You know this feeling of just sitting in a major league ballpark, being a fan, enjoying the game. And when Rajay Davis hit that home run, <laughs> I'm jumping up and down like a little kid. It, uh, it was such a great night. Uh, for all the disappointment from my sister and her husband and Indians fans, you know, but Buddy from Chicago's happy. And, and the whole atmosphere was, I think everybody walking out of the ballpark with all the disappointment still was, we just saw one of the greatest games ever. And it, 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 there's no question what we did. And you mentioned Rajay Davis, and fans here obviously – uh, will remember him forever, whether they were at the game or not, um, and disappointed that he's gone. But you had uh, a chance to, to work with him when he was with the Tigers for a couple of years, and, and I imagine you came away with some similar thoughts about him as a person and a player. Oh, yeah, just just one of the best people in baseball. You know, people kind of look at him a little quirky, and he might be, but you know what? He's just a genuine Nice person who loves to have fun at the ballpark. What's wrong with that? He's a great family person. He's got kids, and he's, you know, he says I'm pretty boring in the off season. You know, I like to hang with my kids. And but I mean, look at what this guy is doing. Not just that home run, but I mean, the speed at age 35 because of the incredible dedication he has to staying in this kind of shape and maintaining speed and putting it to use. So he's just one of those great personalities. He impacts the team when he's on it. You uh, just You'd walk in that clubhouse and see Rajay. You can help but smile <laughs> because that's what he did every day. You know, he brought that attitude every day. He loved having him around. One of my favorite comments from Rajay Davis during the World Series, we were at Wrigley Field, and I asked him, what, what's your favorite part about Wrigley Field? He said, if you hit a home run here, it can go out on the street, <laughs> which which doesn't happen in many ballparks in Major League Baseball. And his but, eyes lit up, right? Yeah, but at Wrigley, he said he hadn't had a chance to do it in a game, but he said, batting practice, I can put balls on the street, which uh, which doesn't happen too often. And, and he just had a big grin when he was saying it. Oh, God, it's the best. Dan Dickerson <laughs> joining us, play-by-play voice for the Detroit Tigers. This is the start of our uh, look around the American League Central Division at the Tribe's Rivals. And last year, uh, Detroit uh, battling a lot of injury issues, as the Indians did, and, and they hung in there until very late in the season. In fact, had opportunities to make the playoffs heading into the final weekend of the season. And, and Dan, we, we saw you the last week of the season, and when the Indians and Tigers were done with their series, the last weekend of the year, Detroit went to Atlanta with a chance to make the playoffs. What happened down there and the level of disappointment at not making it? How tough was that for uh, the Tigers not to get there when they had an opportunity? Yeah, it was disappointing. I think there were reasons for it that you alluded to. Uh, There were a couple of puzzling performances for the offense uh, in Atlanta. really kind of and they faced a pitcher who his name completely eludes me at the moment because he was absolutely forgettable. Uh, and he just absolutely shut him down on either Friday or Saturday. And that was one of the, the games that sticks in my mind. Like, wow, how does this happen? But, you know, what? he actually pitched well. I mean, he hadn't all year, but he he pitched well. He's like, well, this is actually pretty good stuff. But that's kind of, I mean, almost a season in a nutshell. The offense had some, some pretty good numbers in terms of finishing first, second, or third in batting average on base and slugging, sixth in run scoring, which was a disappointment. But I think, there, you know, there, there was that feeling of disappointment. But 
I think they also felt, you know, there are reasons for an 86-win season versus, say, I, th- I thought that was a 90-win team, and I think you could argue that it was had there not been the injuries. Um, and, and, you know, you, you read the comments from Ian Kinsler and Miguel Cabrera, they really feel like this is a team that has something that really they can build on in 2017. Now, they didn't know what the offseason would bring, but I think they were looking at three young pitchers in Fulmer, Norris, and Boyd who can make up, you know, a big part of the rotation for years to come. Plus, there's still youth on this team, as much as people want to say the window is closing, at short, third, catcher, and the corner outfield's 29 and 30 years old. So there's talent on this team. Um, so I, I think there's kind of that feeling of disappointment, and yet there's a lot to work with here. It's not like this is the end of something. And it seems like it's been an, an odd off season from a distance, looking at, at what the Tigers are doing, because depending on what week it is, you, you hear or read that maybe they're trying to move some of the big contracts or maybe they're trying to hang on to them and figure out a way to, to keep what has been a, a really good run for the Tigers going. And, and what do you see as happening here during the offseason? <laughs> it has been. I, I'm sure from afar it has been. I, I, I'm puzzling for uh, fans to look at it and say, what, what are the Tigers doing? I thought they were selling off. I think the key thing to remember is <clears throat> two things. Uh, Justin Upton, when the Tigers signed him last year, that really that put the Tigers at $200 million for payroll. That was a signing that the owner really wanted Al Avila to do, so he did. And I think the owner understands that that put Al in a very tough spot. There's no maneuverability when it comes to the trade deadline or adding anybody, uh, a piece they might need during the season, because they are absolutely maxed out and beyond on payroll. So Al's point in his press conference going into the offseason was, the key thing to me, they, he did not have a number. He was asked, do you have a number you have to get down to in terms of payroll? And his answer was no. But what I've told the owner is, Mr. Illich, that we want to get younger, leaner, more athletic, and obviously tear payroll in the years ahead. He said at the time it could be a several-year process. He also said at the time we're willing to listen on some of our big payroll guys. But I think it was clear that because it didn't have to dump payroll to get to a certain number, they weren't going to give away a Miguel Cabrera, who I don't think really was tradable because of his contract. I think Justin Verlander was tradable. But, again, that's not a deal you're going to make unless you're getting back major league-ready talent like a, a Benintendi and a Bradley from Boston, uh, maybe a pitcher too. And Boston wasn't going to do that, as we saw in the sale deal. So I think the key was, yes, we will listen to anything, but we're not going to dump these guys. And there's still plenty of talent on this roster. And I still think there's probably one more deal because they're over the luxury tax threshold and they're still around $200 million. Al Avila wants some of that maneuverability. So at the trade deadline, if this team is in contention, he can go add a player. So I still think there's – I don't know what that deal would be. I think it's hard to trade up in at this point. Uh, would it be Victor Martinez? I mean, those guys, that's $18 million or $22 million. That gives you some of that maneuverability, and I still think we might see something along those lines before spring training. If not, this is a team, again, that goes in with a very high payroll, close to $200 million. Veering from the task at hand for just a moment here, I want to back up on, on your answer. You mentioned a, a potential deal that maybe <laughs> was rumored. Who knows if there are actual discussions. Uh, Verlander to Boston for uh, a couple of, of key players that you mentioned. Al Avila and Dave Dombrowski, can they sit down and do a deal? Would that be an interesting situation if they're having discussions? Yeah, I, I, as you probably know, and I think most do, they, 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 there's not a lot of uh, 
Well, I, I don't think they've talked a whole lot, let's face it, since Dave was let go by the Tigers. Um, but something always stuck with me. Uh, somebody commented about a general manager is known for being either not above board in his dealings or, or tough to deal with. <laughs> it, it made a point that I thought was good, which is if you want to acquire talent, you're going to have to deal with the guy. So if they wanted Justin Verland, yeah, I think they could get a deal done, in other words. I do. If, if And I really thought that, that if they wanted to trade a high salary, that actually might be a good fit because who's better in the postseason than Justin Verlander coming off a great year? Three years, $84 million is actually not bad for an ace. And, you know, I thought the Tigers would get a, a package, like I said, with some major leaguers and major league ready guys. And clearly they could not have because, you know, what Chicago got for sale is even more of a bargain, way more of a bargain, uh, were guys who have not played in the major leagues yet. And lineup-wise, uh, the Tigers always dangerous, uh, aside from some of the inconsistencies a year ago. Miguel Cabrera, uh, for him, not quite the year that, that we had seen, but maybe that's not realistic considering some of the years that he had put up. Uh, is he starting to, to level off a little bit, or was it just one of those years, and can you still expect the type of seasons that he's had in the past where he was most valuable player candidate and, and all that goes along with that. Yeah, probably not at that level, but he did bounce back, doubled his home run total from the year before when I think the ankle really, really bothered him. Um, I think it's if it's not quite at the very elite top level, it's it's pretty darn close. I mean, you got the on-base plus slugging at 950-plus uh, with 38 home runs. I think you're, you're you're doing your job pretty well. It's not. I don't think it's quite the impact, but it's pretty darn close to his peak years. Um, and if you watch last year, there were more inconsistencies. I mean, there were longer stretches of unproductive at-bats, but the way he finished certainly makes you feel, you know, he's amazing. I, I, the ankle is really bothering him by the by the end of the year again, uh, and hopefully that, that's, that issue has solved itself. But I thought the third doubling the home runs, I thought, was a very good sign. Uh, and he's still... These hitters, the Hall of Fame type hitters, do tend to age well through their 30s. And I think what we saw last year, uh, again, over 300 with 38 home runs, gets on base drives and runs. I think we'll we'll see probably something pretty similar this year. And in closing, for the first time in a long time, the Indians held the upper hand in the season series and go on to win the division. From a Tigers perspective, how big a challenge are the Indians in this coming season if the Tigers are, are to get back to the top of the division? It's a great question, and it's what people have talked about a lot because you take out that series. You know, sometimes you can explain a lopsided season series when one team's good and the other team's not, but the Tigers are pretty had a pretty good record against everybody else other than the Indians last year. And the thing that we talked about quite a bit is the Tigers had, if not owned the series, certainly had a pretty solid advantage of previous, not just two years, but three years, including a 21-8 and eight record in Cleveland. So to me, there was a little bit of flukiness in it. Sometimes you just don't match up well against a team. And the Tigers did not match up well against the Indians. It was a thumping. There was no fluke to the 14-4, and four, but sometimes it's just one of those things. And you can't always put your hand on it when one team, when both teams are you know above 500 and both teams are pretty good. Um, but it absolutely is, I think, what everybody's focusing on. And one of the other things I think – you know, we talked about the moves the Tigers really haven't made this winter, have not made. Um, they look at the division and say, you could argue it's a two-team race right now. Kansas City fell off last year. 
I'm not sure they have the starting pitching on a level of the Indians or Tigers. Um, and you could almost say it's – and things don't always work out this way, but I think the Tigers say, hey, right now we can pose the biggest threat to the Indians, and we're clearly ahead of Minnesota, Chicago, and probably Kansas City too. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the matchup this year. I, I would think the previous three years there was something to that. The Tigers know how to beat uh, Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, <laughs> Salazar. They, you know, at least they don't beat them up, but they found ways to beat them in the past. But they absolutely couldn't do a thing last year. It'll be fascinating to watch those those first series of the year because I think they will kind of set the tone for the year and uh, set up what's what's going to come. And I think when you look at the teams meet early in in April, as I look at the schedule, and then early in May, those will be interesting matchups. Always fun when the Indians and Tigers meet. Dan Dickerson, as always, thanks for the insight, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Rosie. Always good talking to you. At Stan Dickerson, play-by-play voice for the Detroit Tigers. Stay tuned. We'll be back with another installment of our Game of the Week segment after this timeout on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Time for our Game of the Week segment, which has been a staple of Tribe Talk throughout the offseason. And if you've enjoyed these lookbacks at great games from the 2016 season, let us know on Twitter, at Indians Radio, and uh, we can maybe keep that going during the season when things get rolling in 2017, but certainly preparing for next season if this has been fun to, to look back at what obviously was such a memorable season with so many great games. Let us know that, and, and we'll try and jot that down for next year's off season during the hot stove portion of tribe talk now this week's game we're taking you back to september 17th 2016 the indians were playing the tigers and the tribe came in in first place with an 85 and 62 record in the american league central division their magic number to win the division was nine the tigers were the second place ball club they were seven games Behind the Indians coming into play, the Indians were dominating the season series. The pitching matchup that day featured Justin Verlander for the Tigers and Carlos Carrasco for the Indians. And bear in mind, the date September 17th, Carrasco starting that game. And if you're an astute follower of the Tribe, you know that it did not end well for Carrasco in this game. Now, before the game, we visited, as always on Saturdays, with either Chris Antonetti or Mike Chernoff. And this week we had Mike Chernoff on, the Tribe General Manager, to talk about how the front office was reacting to recent injury concerns, not including Carrasco. Uh, Players like Danny Salazar, the pitcher, had some elbow soreness. Lonnie Chisenhall was day-to-day with some ailments. Jan Gomes, in a rehab game, was just hit on the wrist, and it didn't look like he would be available for the remainder of the season or postseason no matter how long it went. So there were a lot of things building, and knowing what would happen to Carrasco just a short while later, kind of ironic some of the things that that Cherney had to talk about prior to that game. Well, in our jobs, we tend to just close our eyes, cross our fingers, and hope no more of these happen. Um, No, but no, seriously, it's, uh, first of all, it's a real credit to our team and the depth that that we have on this team uh, to be able to bounce back. I think in the positions that we're in, we're always looking to build kind of resiliency and depth with a team. Uh, it's really hard to do. You have to tap into your minor leagues. We made an acquisition 
right before August 31st to get Coco Crisp in here. Um, and we thought a lot about, hey, where are we covered if there's one or two injuries? We've had a few more than that this year, and it's a real credit to the guys that they've been able to bounce back and not let that affect us at all. So there was some of the comments from Mike Chernoff, and we take you right to the top half of the first inning, second pitch of the game. Ian Kinsler was at the plate. Tom Hamilton has the call. Carlos Carrasco on the hill, 29 years of age, 6'4", 212 pounds. The right-hander, fastball, cut fastball, curve, slider, and split change. He has been dominant against Detroit this year as Ian Kinsler leads it off right-handed hitting second baseman. Carrasco the set, and today's first pitch is outside a ball, and we're underway here at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. 79 muggy degrees here in Cleveland. Carrasco's pitch swung on, lined up the middle, off Carrasco, caroms to third, Ramirez has it, no play at first, and Carrasco's hurt. He is limping between the mound and third base as Ian Kinsler hit a bullet back up the middle that ricocheted off Carlos Carrasco. And what is it this year with Carrasco and the Detroit Tigers? That ball smoked him. And the question is, where did it hit him as he tried to drop his pitching arm down to protect himself as that ball was coming about hip high and it was blistered and it looked like it got him on the arm or the wrist area. Oh, my goodness. Now, after Carrasco left the game, a combination of Jeff Manship, Kyle Crockett, Cody Anderson, and Zach McAllister put up goose eggs with Verlander through five innings. Altogether in five innings, they did not allow a run, just three hits, three strikeouts, and a walk. Just great relief pitching. And, of course, we can't have a game of the week highlight, especially a low-scoring game without the highlight reel defensive play from your gold glove shortstop, Francisco Lindor. Payoff pitch is swung on, bounced to short in the hole with the back end. Lindor got rid of it quickly on one hop and got Iglesias. Oh, the kid did it again. The 2-2 swung on, bounced up the middle. Lindor behind second, ranging far to his left, gloves and throws him out. It's the Francisco Lindor show. Goes to his right, goes to his left, and it's two up, two down. There may not be a shortstop, certainly in the American League, with the range that Lindor has to either side. Then on to the top half of the sixth inning, Percy Garner came on to pitch, and in just his fifth big league appearance, he would keep the game scoreless. The set, the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss! Perez drops it, picks it up, tags out Victor Martinez. What a job by the kid. Percy Garner comes through big time. Indians, Tigers, still no score. Middle of inning number six. On to the top half of the seventh, and that's when we got word of Carlos Carrasco's injury status. Tom Hamilton announcing what most everyone in the ballpark had feared when they saw the line drive back to the mound. The Indians pitching staff today has walked three, hit a batter. Now we're getting a medical update on Carlos Carrasco. Non-displaced fracture. Unbelievable. Fifth metacarpal on his right hand. Now, I'm no doctor, but that means Carlos Carrasco's season is over. Unbelievable. How the world can the Indians have this kind of a memorable season 
do it without Michael Brantley, do it without Jan Gomes. They've had other injuries like everybody does have, and then lose two of your top three starting pitchers in the last week, Danny Salazar and now Carlos Carrasco. And if the Indians do make the playoffs, what team do you remember that's gone into the playoffs without their number two and number three starters? And the Indians will just have to figure it out on the run, but good Lord. Well, you know what? It's been that kind of a year where this club has overcome every obstacle and every hurdle. Boy, they've got a giant one now with the loss of Carrasco. Here's the 0-1 pitch. Swing and a foul back, 0-2. And And Terry Francona will be the first guy to tell you nobody in the game of baseball is going to feel sorry for the Indians. That's just how the game is. It can be pretty cold-blooded. Back to the game, Brian Shaw was on to try and keep the stellar relief pitching going for the Indians. Brian Shaw is ready, scoreless in the seventh, the pitch. Swing and a miss. He got Saltalovakia. Two down in the Tigers' seventh. The Indians' bullpen today, folks, has recorded every out because of Carrasco being hurt on the second pitch of the game. Meanwhile, Verlander was just outstanding as well as through seven innings. He struck out seven, didn't allow a run. And on this day, it was Cody Allen on in the eighth before Andrew Miller. And it was Allen who would shut the Tigers down in the eighth inning. Then Miller came on in the ninth, had no trouble. Still, though, the Tribe unable to get anything going offensively through nine. So it was on to extra innings. And in the top half of the tenth, Miller came back out for his second inning of work. Swing and a jam job. Hit up the middle. Scooped by Miller. Fires to first. Ending over. And they're on their feet again. He's a game changer, folks. And Andrew Miller, what a job he has done here today, giving the Indians two shutout innings. Birthday number 24 is memorable. A walk-off game-winning single to center by Jose Ramirez. The Indians have beaten the Tigers one to nothing in ten innings, and they have broken the Tigers back today. On a day where the Indians lose Carlos Carrasco after two pitches with a broken hand, the Indians' incredible bullpen, eight relief pitchers, shut out the Tigers in ten innings. And then Jose Ramirez with a one-out, two-strike, game-winning single to center. And the Indians have their 10th walk-off win of the season. And the Indians have a one nothing win over Detroit in 10 innings. They lead the Tigers by eight games. They reduce their magic number to seven. Following day, Terry Francona talked with Hammy about the impressive bullpen performance and, of course, um, of course that heartbreaking injury to Carlos Carrasco. Well, a bittersweet win for the Indians yesterday, but first and foremost, we have to talk about that win, Terry. To win one to nothing in ten innings where you get two pitches from your starting pitcher. Have you ever been a part of a game you were much more proud of? No, that that ranks right up near the top for sure. I mean that was one of the funner games I've ever been a part of. And that's even saying with Carlos, you know, getting hurt early, that that, that kind of gets you like you got punched in the stomach to our players credit to our coaches credit nobody 
nobody backed down. I mean, that's a hard game to win. Justin Verlander was pitching. I mean, my goodness, man. It, 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 he was throwing like vintage Verlander. And we hung in there. And we did it with veterans. We did it with young kids. We did it with a young catcher. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was energizing. And then to find a way to win, boy, that made it really special. I know this sounds corny, but we always talk about the journey, and that's what makes baseball so special, the six-month journey. It's been an incredible ride, isn't it, when you think of what you've overcome? Yeah, it also makes managers have bags under their eyes. <laughs> but but I agree with you. It's if, if you miss out on that, shame on you, because there's so much good so much stuff that happens that if you just allow yourself to, to get fixated or get derailed by the bad things, there's so much good. I mean, yesterday was such a fun part of a day to be a part of a team, and, you know, the win helped at the end. But during the whole day, every we were all enjoying the day. It was exciting. It was a good baseball game. So a tough break for the Tribe. Many thought their playoff hopes were gone that day with the injury to Carrasco. But as you know by now, the Indians would overcome the injuries to their pitching staff and take the Chicago Cubs to seven games in a classic World Series before the Cubs won it at Progressive Field. So a great day, September 17th, uh, an emotional day in a lot of ways, and not just a clear-cut win for the Tribe, but some more challenges to work through, and they certainly did just that on a day where they won a ball game, lost a pitcher, but it proved to be an injury that they were able to get through for the most part, and what a common characteristic that was from this year's team. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us. Tune in again next week for another hot stove edition of Tribe Talk. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network.